In this time of several existential threats, humanity faces a potential crisis where we could have everything fall apart on us. What does it mean to be a good person in the middle of this craziness? I'm going to argue today that morality is insanely important, but we should actually talk about it less and give it less attention. And on the other side of this crisis is a beautiful time where we're going to be better people and we're going to have a better society. We're going to create a world we can be proud of because we have to. Let's dig in. This is the joy of saving the human race, where we try to get the world to cooperate. It's so the human race can avoid some urgent global problems that could mean the end of civilization and cause lots of suffering around the world. But also, we just want to have a good world that we enjoy and we can feel proud of. We are not just citizens of our own countries. We are citizens of the human race. Let's learn to manage ourselves responsibly. Let's help the human race act like it wants to last for a while. I think humans are awesome and the human race is worth saving. There is no time to waste, so let's do this. Hi friends, welcome to the joy of saving the human race. I'm Shelby Mardis. Before we begin, I just want to do some very quick business with you and remind you that this show is available in a bunch of different places, on YouTube, Spotify, and on most podcast players. And if you have not yet done it, I hope you'll hit that subscribe button. Um, I know you're busy. You might forget to stop back and check out future episodes. But if you hit subscribe, then it'll just show up there for you and you'll remember to tune in again. And uh, let's stay in touch that way. Also, you can go to my website, which is www.joyofsavingthehumanrace.com. And you can listen to shows there. Also, you can get on the email list and get reminders about future episodes. And don't worry, I won't remind you. Um, I won't email you frequently. And your contact info is safe there. Um, and then please share this show with your friends, your family, anyone you care about. That would be super helpful because saving humanity is a team effort. So here on the show, we explore how to address the big global threats to humanity that we're facing, and to do this by improving the United Nations system and other global systems to handle those big global important issues. Uh, we have a whole number of severe interconnected threats in the world, like climate change, the destruction of nature, pandemics, nuclear weapons, uh, war generally, um, and new technology that's emerging that could be insanely dangerous if it's misused or gets out of control. So any one of these could be a really super severe issue, but we've got several of them. And um, we have may have more than one of these um, give us really problems. And so we might have combinations of these things or multiple problems that really can make everything fall apart if they overwhelm our systems for dealing with things. And we could have an insane amount of suffering in the world. So it's big stuff we're up against. And today what I want to talk about in this mix is morality. 
um, and how we talk about it and how we think about it. I'm not going to take one issue and dive in and give a policy solution or something. I'm really going to talk about the whole ball of wax. And this issue of morality is really important because it helps determine what gets attention and how people think about these issues. So you might notice that in our social political discourse, some less important issues get tons of attention and everybody's talking about them. And then some issues that are enormously important, like threatening the future of the human race, don't get the attention they need. And so this issue I'm going to talk about with morality, I think, is key to getting certain uh, issues noticed more. And these existential threats that we're facing, um, it forces us to look at morality in a different way. So it'll be a bit paradoxical what I'm going to share with you, but I'll be basically saying that morality is insanely important, but we should actually focus on it less in our conversations. This will make more sense as I dive in. Um, usually on this show and elsewhere, as I talk about all these issues, I usually don't talk about things in moral terms. I tend to think about it or talk about it more in practical ways or self-interested ways. That's because my observation is that moralizing doesn't tend to get results. I don't see it working because we've been doing that with each other for generations and actually thousands of years. And here we are still like in the edge of catastrophe. Um, in individual conversations, I've noticed it doesn't seem to work to scold people and shame them and tell them they're bad and whatever. That tends to cause more resistance than it's worth, and it causes people to be defensive and shut down and want to avoid these issues, which doesn't help. So what I tend to do is I focus on very practical issues. I speak to people in terms of their own self-interest and help connect the dots for people so that they can really understand cause and effect, understand the consequences or the impact of their actions or their failing to act. Um, I just find that to be most helpful. But now here, as we address people's practical self-interest and survival, both individually and a species, this is going to push us all to behave in more moral ways. Because to get through this existential mess that we're in is going to require things like sharing, cooperation, helping people who need help. It's going to mean not doing violence to each other. It's going to mean treating each other with respect. All that will be essential to get through this mess if we want to survive as a civilization. So another reason I don't often preach morality is because like everyone knows it already. It's kind of basic stuff. Even if people aren't doing what I think are, you know, best actions or being a good person, they still know, like everybody knows. So I want to tell you a story about this. 
Um, so far on the show, as I wrap up each episode, I tend to say goodbye by being like, hey, until next time, let's be the best people we can be. That actually comes from a grade school art teacher that was my kid's teacher many years ago, uh, Mrs. Reed, a wonderful person. And, you know, at the time, I wish I would have got to know her a little bit better, but I was just distracted and having a busy life and I just wasn't paying attention and wasn't noticing maybe what a special person she was and what she was trying to do. Um, she was not just teaching art. She was teaching kids how to be good people. And in her classroom, she would tell kids, in my class, I don't like a bunch of rules. I only have one rule. Just be the best person you can be. That's it. And I found that to be really profound because she was trusting these little kids to know the right way. And it makes perfect sense because, like, everybody knows. Even little kids know how to behave. So, you know, in, in an art classroom in a grade school is a great chance to practice those basic things, you know? And, and it becomes obvious as you go through it. So, like, in a classroom, we're all here to make beautiful art. And it's hard to make beautiful art when people are being mean to each other. So, like, let's not be mean. Or, you know, if somebody makes a mess and doesn't clean up after themselves, then Jimmy doesn't have room to make his beautiful painting. And if you leave globs of paint around on the table, it's going to mess up his painting, you know? So clean up after yourself. Or sharing. Like, if, if I hog up all the art supplies, Latoya can't make her beautiful painting because I hogged them all up. So sharing is good. Or like, don't overuse things because if we run out of that color of paint because you used all of it, then somebody else can't do what they have to do. So it's like some of these things are so basic that even little kids in grade school can understand them. But we adults on the world stage don't seem to practice these basic things than even, that even a six-year-old in first grade can understand. Collectively, as a species, we have trouble doing what we all know to be the right thing. And I think some of that is because on, on, in a global way, it can feel a little amorphous. People don't understand their impacts on each other, even though we all are in this together and we totally have impacts on each other. But people tend to have a, a more narrow view of their own life. So the big problems are out there somewhere and it's happening with somebody else out there and, and I'm not involved, but we're all highly involved. And so if we don't come to have, you know, have these basic values and principles practiced in a global way, then we're going down the tubes and things aren't going to work. So we as a species, we've had some of these moral problems that have persisted long enough that they're now existential threats. And so with some of these issues, we need to shift how we talk about them from moral issues to being existential issues.
So for instance, uh, in the environmental movement that's now been around decades, we've had 50 years of an environmental movement, maybe longer, and for a long time it was framed as like, let's protect environment because we need to be nice to nature. You know, it's like about tr tree hugging and saving cute polar bears, which is all good. But now it's an existential thing. Like if we continue screwing up the natural environment, like we're going to have climate change going out of control and wildfires and storms and hurricanes and it's going to destroy a bunch of things. And, you know, even other types of destruction in nature lead to shortages of water, shortages of food, like a mess where people are going to die. So in the past, somebody might have not seen the consequences of their actions because they're like, oh, yeah, well, I know I shouldn't litter. I know I shouldn't consume. But, you know, it's just about some polar bears. But now you can tell them, hey, dude, this is about you surviving. You could die. Your whole family could die. Your whole town or city can die because of what we're doing. It's a different issue now. So another example is poverty and inequality of wealth. Humans have been dealing with this for thousands of years. You can go back to the Bible and other ancient texts. This was talked about for thousands of years, and we're still going through this now with some of the biggest inequality that has ever existed in the world. And now it's an existential threat. So look at it on the climate front. Um, there are people in poor countries who are tearing down their rainforests in order to survive and make a living because they don't have a vibrant economy. And we need those rainforests in order to survive climate change. Or poor countries are going to continue burning coal and other fossil fuels because they can't afford solar panels. So the difference of rich and poor countries, like these poor countries have a harder time protecting their environment because they're just trying to make it. Or on pandemics, um, you know, poverty in these places leads to destruction of nature and that increases our pandemic risk. But then also in some places you've got poor sanitation and lack of clean water. People can't even wash their hands in the middle of a pandemic. You know, sanitation issues themselves have caused health concerns. People have lack of food. And when you're not eating well, that's not good for your immunity. And you're not going to fight off disease very well if you're starving. There's a lack of health care. So in dealing with a pandemic, people can't even go to a doctor. That's not good pandemic fighting. Um, people can't quarantine when a virus comes around because they have to work because they don't, they can't afford to stay home. They have to work or they're going to starve to death. So people can't quarantine as a measure to deal with pandemics. So poverty increases our risk of all getting sick. Or on the migration front, which is about to be an insanely destabilizing issue if we don't deal with it, because climate change means that 2 billion people today live in places that will be too hot for people to live in 50 years. 
So in the next 50 years, 2 billion people are going to have to die or move or do extreme measures to stay in place. But those extreme measures won't happen because they're poor. Like there's a lot of poverty in these places. And it's the poorest people are going to pick up and move first because they're not able to make a living where they are. And so this destabilizing force of migration that we're still not prepared for is a poverty-driven thing. So we've talked about poverty for thousands of years, but now we have to deal with it if we're going to survive. So this is not just an issue of charity. This is not just an issue of doing the right thing and helping people who need help because it's nice. This is a matter of self-interested self-preservation for all of us. Another issue is racism. Um, I don't like to go around calling people a racist because I find it's not really helpful and causes more resistance than it's worth. But as we look at it in a global way, um, you know, I just noticed in the last couple of years, the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States um, has prompted some really overdue conversations about race, both in the U.S. and in some other countries around the world. Um, but this runs so much bigger and deeper than just policing in some cities in the U.S. Like race is an enormous issue in our world that's now an existential threat. It's not only about treating people fairly because it's the right thing, which it is, but look at it in world terms. Race seems to be highly connected to all those poverty issues I was talking about a moment ago. So just notice that countries who are doing pretty well and affluent and more developed tend to be white people in the United States, in Canada, in Europe, in Australia. And the people who are poorest and most suffering are brown and black people in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia. Notice the difference in vaccination between wealthy and poor countries, or really between white and brown and black countries. There's huge differences. And that difference in vaccination is possibly going to really hurt us as we fail to react in an effective way to this pandemic. Now, I don't want to say that these differences exist because of overt racism, like everyone hates black and brown people and wants to abuse them. But it makes me wonder, though, if we do have underlying racial attitudes that lead to some laziness around helping these places. Because it's been for a really long time that we've had in, you know, really deep poverty and people just sort of get used to it. Like, oh, yeah, there's some poor people over there. Like, oh, yeah, the people in Africa, they're always going to suffer. Like, that's just how it is. Like, it can't just be how it is because it's now an existential threat. Um, another issue is war. War has always been tragic. It's always been a moral concern, obviously. Like people die, people have their homes destroyed, whole nations get destroyed. It's like one of the most de destructive forces humans have had. So it's really bad stuff. But 
now, as we're facing all these other existential threats, we as a world need the biggest, strongest cooperation internationally than humans have ever seen. This is a moment where we need all hands on deck, everybody working together to fix these problems. And so at a time when we need more cooperation than ever, war really ruptures that cooperation and causes a lot of fighting between people and between governments and between countries. We can't afford to have that kind of fighting. Um, it consumes enormous resources to conduct wars. So the world military budget is like $2 trillion gets spent every year on military basically for the purpose of destroying things. Like there's nothing generative about that. There's nothing helping the environment about that. There's nothing feeding people about that or protect, you know, it's just $2 trillion down the tubes every year for the sake of fighting. We can't keep doing that. It's just not going to work in this time of existential threats. And then on top of that is the added danger of nuclear weapons, which are still with us. And we're just an accident away of something really bad happening. And accidents have happened. Um, and we've now got coming along autonomous weapons that are guided by artificial intelligence systems, weapons that and robots that basically make their own decisions about what to fire at and, and kill. Um, and then there's weapons in space. And so we're having new fronts where countries are starting an arms race in additional areas to consume even more resources and make our world even more dangerous. So instead of cooperating, we're letting war continue to tear us apart. And it's just not going to work. So in all this stuff I've shared with you, here's the important point. Here's why I'm sharing this with you. We have had these issues that have been around for decades, for centuries, even millennia. And they're now beyond moral issues and they're now existential issues. So we need to extract these issues from this narrative that has persisted for so long. And the reason for this is that I think some of these issues, people get used to them and think that that's always how it's going to be. That's just how life is and we're always going to have it. So we're always going to have poor people. We're always going to have war. Like this is just how it goes. It's kind of like the wallpaper in your house or, you know, you see it every day. You start to tune it out. You just don't pay attention to it because it's always there. And in that same sort of way, some of these issues have always been there. And people come to just be like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, that's just how it is. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just, that's just the way. And they don't get the attention they deserve. And so this moment of existential threat is going to force us to finally deal with those issues. And so people who work on those issues, who are still framing them purely in moralistic ways, I would encourage them 
to communicate about them as existential threats. Because people don't react just to do the right thing, but maybe if they understand that everything goes down the tubes soon if we don't solve them, could really increase the urgency around some of these issues. If they notice that it's not just the same issue it's already always been, this is a new ball game. Like it's time to show up and deal with these things. So that's what I hope for in connecting the dots on this is that we can talk about some of these things in a new way with renewed urgency and attention so that they actually get dealt with. Now, noticing these interconnected issues and how deep they run and how long they've run, it can be sort of intimidating because even just poverty alone, I mean, we've dealt with that for all of human history. Like what, we're going to just deal with it now in the next couple decades so we can survive? That's intimidating. Um, and it could be easy to feel helpless about it. But there is a bright side. Um, if we can all start to pay closer attention to our existential threats and deal with it and be honest about what we're, what we're up against and do what's needed, beautiful things are going to happen. On the other side of this crisis, we will be better people. We will have a stronger society where people share. People treat each other with respect. People don't are not violent with each other. People are nicer to nature. Like all these things are going to happen for us to survive. And I really believe they will. We're just going to have a couple difficult decades here of intense change. But on the other side of that is some beautiful things because we're going to have to deal with these issues that have been ignored for so long, that we've known for so long have been a problem. We're finally going to deal with them. That's pretty magical. So I look forward to it. So that's what I have to share with you today. Uh, I just want to offer a thanks to Mrs. Reed for teaching my kids and for teaching so many kids about how to be good people. I want to thank you, dear listeners, for being with me today. And until next time, let's be the best people we can be. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, but you're not done yet. We can't change the world if we keep the joy of saving the human race to ourselves. Help me spread the word and help this movement grow. Please subscribe to the show, both the podcast and the YouTube channel. Leave ratings or reviews, which encourages others to listen. Share this show with others on your social media. Even better, just tell a friend about it and have a good conversation about the state of the world. These things really make a difference. I hope you can help the show grow and reach a larger audience. I'm grateful for your help. Thank you. And please stay in touch with me. I love to get feedback, suggestions, and questions. Go to the website at joyofsavingthehumanrace.com. At the website, you'll learn more about the show, and you can sign up to get occasional email updates. Thanks to Moby for the show's theme music, and thanks to you for being here. 
All right, we're done for today. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.